That opening collect we had is one that those that pray the Angelus um, have, apparently I don't have it full, as fully memorized as I thought I did because I struggled with it uh, for whatever reason. I, I have to be actually praying the Angelus in order to pray it through, but pour forth, we, we beseech thee, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation was made known by the message of an angel, that message of an angel, so often, at least in my mind, I only associate it with one message of an angel, the, the, the Annunciation to the Blessed Mother. But there was another angel, or the same angel, but another Annunciation. And that's what we hear today in today's Gospel passage, as we have the Annunciation to St. Joseph. No less important, because of the, the nature of law and marriage and all those things, and, and not, 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 of course, as earth-shaking, perhaps, as the incarnation of uh, that, uh, the Annunciation to the Blessed Mother, that she was to bear the Son, but Joseph to protect the Son of God. How he could have easily just walked away. In fact, that's the, the gist of this passage. Uh, we have to remember that Jewish law and Jewish custom is very different than in our modern day now where you know, there's the dating and then the, the courtship and then the, the being engaged and, and with all the fun that comes along with setting wedding dates and times and places and all those things. And then the wedding. And then with that wedding is when you're first married uh, by modern uh, understanding of marriage. In the Jewish understanding, especially in the time of Jesus, there would be an arrangement made sometimes between the parents of the bride and the groom, sometimes between the groom and her, uh, the bride's parents, sometimes the, the groom and the bride, and then going to the, the father of the, of the bride. But there would be an arrangement that would be made, a contract would be made, and they would be understood to be betrothed, not engaged, but betrothed already in some way having a legal binding contract. Uh, and in the way that we have here translated, married. So Joseph and Mary were married from that moment of the, the contract, when, whenever that was. By Jewish custom then, the, the groom, once that betrothal had begun, the groom would go and he would build a house and establish himself in some trade, we know that Jesus, uh, Joseph was, uh, uh, the Greek word is techne, a technician. So often we have that as a carpenter, but it was probably more a stone worker maybe as well, uh, because it goes both ways. So Joseph established himself, and then by Jewish custom, when after a period of time, six months, a year, when all was ready, when the feast was ready, the, the, the wine was stored up and, and the, the fat and calf, if you want to imagine that, was, was slaughtered. The bridegroom would go to the bride's house. There would be a celebration. They would receive him with joy. And then he would formally take his bride into his house. And then they would be what we would call married. That they would be living together. So what we have today is in that interim period between the betrothal and Joseph actually taking Mary into his house. By Jewish law, at any time, for whatever reason, they could have just simply called it off. And most of the time it was made public why they called it off. Uh, uh, I didn't get my cow or I didn't get my goat or whatever it was or, 
or uh, um, I'm not able to provide for, the, for my wife or, or whatever it is. Joseph, not willing to expo- expose her to shame, St. Matthew records, decides to divorce her quietly, almost just kind of slink away because he is a righteous man. He doesn't want any part of a woman who is pregnant, you know, with all that goes along with that. But he doesn't want to expose her to shame either. If he walks away, perhaps her shame will be just assumed that Joseph did something and now is ashamed. Or, for whatever reason, that they would just make assumptions about him. But then the angel appears to him in a dream. Now, as I said a few weeks ago when we began the Gospel of St. Matthew in the cycle, I said uh, St. Matthew is written to the Jewish people of whom there were Sadducees, those who do not believe in angels or demons or uh, uh, things beyond the first five books of the Bible. Perhaps that's part of the reason why St. Matthew would record this. If it, if it happened, making, making sure he puts it in a dream so he's not scandalizing the Sadducees in the first chapter right away. Oh, I'm not going to read this. Angels? Nope. No, instead he puts it in a dream. But there's probably a, perhaps a better reason why God would allow the angel to come to him in a dream. It has to do with another dreamer with the same name in the Old Testament. If you remember that story of Joseph is the beloved son of Jacob, Israel. His brothers are jealous because he keeps having dreams. He has dreams that, uh, that he interprets that someday his brothers will come and bow down before them, before him, and they will have no part of it. They're jealous because their father dotes on him, has given him a coat. You know, we have the, the amazing Technicolor dream coat, uh, perhaps coming to mind, but the coat of many colors, whatever that uh, looked like or entailed. They're jealous of him. And so they decide we're going to slaughter him, but instead they sell him to the Ishmaelites, who in turn sell him in Egypt into slavery. And there, the master dreamer has everything fulfilled. Despite the machinations of his brothers, he rises in the ranks and is made number two in Egypt when a famine hits. But because of his dream, they are prepared. And who should come wanting some food because now everyone is hungry but his brothers. And they bow down before him. And he reminds them after he reveals himself, it's a good story, you can go and read it yourself, but it's too long to tell perhaps. But he reminds them that what you intended for evil, God intended for good, that God put me here so that I can provide. And perhaps that's exactly the reason why Joseph, St. Joseph, has the same name, has a dream, because now Joseph is called to provide and protect this child, Jesus. This church that is to be established on, by Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection. That Joseph is called to protect it in its infancy. So when Joseph awakes, he takes his wife into his home. By the way, and we'll hear this on the other side of Christmas, another dream how Joseph is to protect and provide as well. 
but you'll have to wait for Epiphany for that. As we gather this day, perhaps St. Joseph on this uh, fourth Sunday of Advent can be our guide and can be our model because he does something magnificent. And so often we might just think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did, if you think about the circumstances, it's not typical that a woman just show up pregnant. We know this. And there's assumptions of how these things happen. But Joseph, as a man of faith, takes his wife into his home despite everything, or because of the message of an angel, that it is the incarnation, that it is Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who has come upon her. And he's given this message uh, that, uh, that we hear in today's first reading, the message of the prophet Isaiah. Now, I have to admit, every time we have this message, I kind of giggle, because Ahaz, if you read just that portion, you think, well, this is great. Ahaz, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. If something, he, he follows the commandments. He's not going to test the Lord. The problem is he had no inclinations of doing that any, anywhere before or after. Ahaz was an evil king. He was a wicked king who worshipped pagan gods and did terrible things. And Isaiah says to him, if, that you may know that God is about to work in your life, work in the nation, ask for whatever sign you want. No, not going to tempt the Lord. All of a sudden, gets a conscience. And Isaiah gives the sign all the same. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That was fulfilled, by the way, in a natural way. A young woman which is how the word virgin is often translated, but it's fulfilled in the spiritual way in the Blessed Mother. The virgin, with all that means and our proper understanding of that word, Joseph takes his wife into his home. He provides for her, and by providing for her, provides for the Lord. I find it fitting that if he is the model for, for what we ought to do, I find it very fitting. So often we as Catholics are accused, and I heard it this last week, oh, you worship Mary. No. Well, you have statues of Mary. Well, <laughs> having a statue is different than worshiping, isn't it? After all, I, I, uh, this time of year I like to point out a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters have little statues of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men. Are they worshiping? No. But they're using those, those little statues as a reminder of the real people that were there on that first Christmas. And when we have statues, it's a reminder that this is a real person, that Mary, the Blessed Mother, was a real person, that we can come to her with her need, because she is the Queen Mother. She is the one who can go to our King. And let's admit, as much as I love Jesus Christ, sometimes I want my mother. Sometimes I want a mother to be with me and to help me. And that's what the Blessed Mother does, because she's... Not only a mother, and, and if you, and this is not anti-Semitic because it's the greatest trait a Jewish mother has. If you ever met a Jewish mother, the number one thing they want for them, for you, is to meet their children, especially their sons. If their sons are successful, the Blessed Mother has the most successful Jewish son there ever was. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God. She wants us to encounter him. And if she wants us to encounter him, Joseph wants us to encounter her so that we encounter his son, his foster son. As we come this day, we ask the Lord to help us to do what Joseph did to provide in our hearts a place for Mary and a place for her son. In this last weeks of, last days actually of Advent, that we can provide that place. As important as it is to get our houses all prepared for Christmas and putting up the trees and the nativity crash and the lights and all the decorations, to prepare the cards and the food and the candy and the cookies and all these things, it's much more important to prepare our hearts to find a place where the Blessed Mother can dwell, to take her into our lives, because when we take her, she brings her son. It's not that we're opposed, of course, to the son coming directly, but the Blessed Mother in her love guarantees she will not let us not experience her son. So we come this day, we ask Joseph to help us to provide that place. We ask the Blessed Mother to bring us to her son. And we ask her son, Jesus, to bring us salvation.